Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Greetings one and all and welcome to this latest edition of Sean Keevney's Creative Cul-de-Sac. Um, the more editions of this that I stack up before release, um, the more unusually uh, unhinged I begin to feel. I'm, I feel a little bit like um, like a sort of allegorical version of Howard Hughes, you know, when he used to store bottles of jars of piss under his bed. feels a bit like that. I'm, I'm, I've gone from broadcasting to literally millions of people to going through old notebooks on my own in the top room of the house and it being de rigueur, uh, an accepted part and practice of the week. And uh, so far, we're in November at this moment in time. God knows when this will be released, 2022. So you could be listening to this in April. You could be listening to this, in, you know, in, in summertime next year. But from where I'm sitting right now, looking out on Gladstone Park from the top room, um, it feels like an impossible dream that um, I might be nestling up to Joe Rogan's nuts uh, on the charts. Uh, but it is going to happen. So anyway, um, I always like to factory reset. It's basically what this podcast is. Uh, you'd probably know by now. Uh, it's in three parts now. The first part is me doing this oh that's um i can't see but it it sounds like a, a police car whizzing down dudden hill road rough as fuck neeston you know no, no we we don't live in neeston by the way we live in dollis hill there's about 90 meters difference um i go through some of my old ideas then we do it with a guest we've had some really brilliant ones already and they've all been brilliant and then the final third of the program, it's like us going through your uh, old, lost, uh, broken ideas. And today, I'm going to do a poem, Unknown Provenance, uh, a little joke. Uh, I thought I'd jotted down about death in an ancient notebook that's read, R-E-D. Um I'm also going to be reading again from the book of Genesis, if you remember from one of the last editions, maybe you don't, uh, just to contextualise that. Um, when I started my afternoon show, Stop Crying, in 2019, I started a book of Genesis, which was a notebook, in which I wrote all my ideas, Phil's ideas, Matt's ideas, and the listeners' ideas. None of them came to fruition. So a bit out of there. And this is exciting. Um, I'm, actually, I'm actually writing a memoir 
sort of by accident. Uh, more about that as time goes on. But I'm actually doing it. So I'm going to read you a tiny excerpt from that. It's tantalising, isn't it? Maybe if we get time, we'll finish on a song. Okay. Bollocks, I've just written ripped the bottom off this pissing poem. Let's try and stick it back together. I've, this this poem uh, is on a little scrap of uh, tiny paper that just fell out of one of the other notebooks. And I do vaguely remember re writing this. I feel like I was writing it either uh, as a sort of accompanying part to one of my Glastonbury shows. I think that's what it was, actually. I don't know if you know this, but I've... Uh, Headline Glastonbury a few times, uh, 2012 to 2019, uh, uh, of the Crow's Nest stage on the park. You might have seen you there. Anyway, this is the poem, right? Chinese Thai, Indian curry and tali, a jerk chicken that would sate Bob Marley. The craft beers are simply to die for, boutique camping suit Michelle Phi for, but the massos are just off the scale. Darling, have you seen one sign of kale? We're all getting massively wobbly asses as we try to eat more pomegranate molasses, but we're here for the tunes and also the chat and a fabulous fish, Chana Chat. And that's a para-rhyme, isn't it? Our tent, meant to be a calm refuge, is now just a space full of refuse. How do you finish a poem? It's not exactly la boheme. No matter. As long as it rhymes without doubt. With Sean Keaveney's middle-aged shout-out. Or maybe I wrote that to read out at the Latitude Festival 2017, one of the most ill-fated gigs that I ever did. I'd um, agreed to do one of my abortive middle-aged night-out shows in one of the tents, one of the comedy tents, on the Friday night. But I also took a massive cabal of us, including my no-wife and my then-two kids, and so on the Friday night, I was trying to put up the tent, which anybody who knows me realises what a fool's errand that is, trying to get the kids sorted out. Thank God for my wife, who helped me out. I remember one of them had an explosive shit. That didn't go down very well. And then also I had to get in the mindset to do this show, which was a fucking disaster. Robin Ince literally pulled me out of a smoking hole of my own making by being a brilliant guest. If it weren't for that, I think there'd have been a riot. This is shit, Keebler, you prick. <coughs> I'm recovering from that cold. You know, the cold that's as, almost as bad as COVID. But because it's not COVID, it doesn't matter. Right, okay, on to the joke. So, By the way, I've just realised a bit of a weakness with this format, which is, I don't, because a lot of it's just, I'm reading out of old notebooks, I've not really got a system for saying, oh, I've read that on a podcast already. So I might be repeating myself sometimes. If I do that, you can have your money back. But anyway, from this gorgeous uh, ancient red diary, uh, the first thing that's written on the first page is WW2 slash chocks away. Intriguing, there. no idea what that was about. But I quite like this little joke I've written. I was chatting to a guy in the pub. I remember doing this on the on the breakfast show, I think, once. So you, somebody out there might remember this. Remember, I was chatting to a guy in the pub who's a semi-pro snooker player. And he's very good. He's got a very unorthodox style. Uh, he plays left and right-handed. Uh, and sometimes, he, he didn't. when I was watching him, he didn't use his left hand. What he'd do is, instead of using his hand 
to hold the queue, he'd stack up a load of 10, 20 P pieces on the table and then he would rest the queue on that to take really hard to reach shots. Change is as good as a rest, I suppose. I thought that was quite good, actually. Reading that back, I think, fucking hell. Stephen Wright might uh, enjoy that. Or Steve Wright. Steve Wright in the afternoon. Good old mate of mine. And then what I've done here is I've written a thought about death um, under the caps lock headline. We're all going to die! Exclamation mark. Okay, calm down. I can't remain calm. I am facing an eternity of void. Even less stimulation than the waiting room at platform four of crew train station. Never experiencing my loved ones again, or anything. Baby's laughter. Jay Maskis. Stubbed toe, I've written. But it's okay, because we can distract ourselves. Waterfall taps. Side returns. A new top. The pub. Comedy question mark. By laughing at it, it's almost like we can make it go away. But we can't. Death is a reality. That is why I practice and prepare for it by dying on stage every night. A bit dramatic, isn't it? That would be a really great amuse-bouche for the guest, Nina Conti, who uh, touches on that very subject in our brilliant chat on cul-de-sac. Who knows, maybe it's coming up after this. So there you go. Oh, and that's the other thing. Right, so, two more fantastic things for you. I honestly think, from my archive, if you could see what I'm fucking looking at now, this is an archive, is it, Sean? Fuck me. It's not exactly the Library of Alexander, is it? It's just a shit IKEA desk. I've mentioned this before. The drawers are falling off, and there's just shit piled up everywhere. It's, just, it's awful. But I'm going to read you some bits out of the book of Genesis. Um, I've really hit my stride in this uh, on this page, actually. Because what I'm doing here is, I'm, I suppose this is technically a bit ironic. I am um, here, I'm musing on what would be a good podcast. It's ironic, isn't it? Podcast, what? Where is the passion? If you If you ever have the misfortune of having a meeting with a commissioner or somebody in a production company, it's usually a deathly experience. No offence to the people that many people I've spoken to over the years in these positions. But that's essentially what they always ask you. What's your passion, Sean? I don't fucking know. Eating chips and drinking beer? We get a five-part fucking podcast out of that. Well, Channel 5. Sean Keaveney eats chips and drinks beer around Britain. Write that down. Anyway, I say... I want to get out and about and explore and see places, and I dream of getting to rope a... What? To... Rope a dry... Rope and dry stone wall and sail and wild camp. This is me fucking unravelling in 2019. But I hate the idea of cluttering our lives. Oh, I'm, I'm such a snowflake. We've got too much of everything. This is me, this. Including fucking podcasts. Too many interviews. Whoops. Too many guests. Oops. One coming up. Too many ideas in a way. Too many mindfulness apps I've written. I'm such a prick sometimes. Black! Black! I go on. I want to do a kind of Wayne Wright Walks thing. Claire Balding, rambling type thing. That's a really good radio for sure. Let it sing thing. Hang on. 
RSPB, Dr. Adam. Dr. Adam is a producer at the BBC who is an ornithologist. Twitchers, learning about birds whilst having a laugh maybe. Bill Bailey, like Bob and Paul's fishing. So much of it. How can it be different or better? Well, we don't know, and that's why you're still sitting in your top room in your fucking underpants, talking to yourself. Maybe I should forget the podcast and just go and do these things anyway, I conclude, which is a good point. I did do a pilot in December last year with the wonderful Lisa Tarwick and the amazing Jim Moyer, which was basically that, us bird watching. Didn't go anywhere. And then we I've written... This, is, this I thought was quite a good idea for a television programme. It was called Are We Nearly There Yet? It's me. I pick up a celebrity in the car that was their parents' car back in the day. We drive to a favourite holiday destination. Along the way, we unpack the secrets of their family holidays and uncover some deep-seated family stuff too. Now, about the time that I wrote this in the journal, I mentioned it to Zara, my associate producer. If you're listening, Zara, I love you, I miss you. And she just as in a sort of aside just said oh you do know that Paddy McGuinness has done that it's like there's loads of them on YouTube she just, just like reached into my ribcage and ripped my fucking heart out and threw it down the toilet oh I could and I, he did he did a version of this it was shite but Paddy's you know he's good at what he does isn't he oh brown fog is do I not like it like you eh not being on telly do I mean all like you like it? Got a lot of time for him. Anyway, you know what? He's a, I, anybody who works as hard as that, I think, hats off. I'm such a lazy prick. It's very ranty, I think, uh, today's, that particular section of today's podcast. And I apologise for that. So by means of making it up to you, I'm going to finish by reading an excerpt from my uh, soon-to-be-released 2023 autobiography. I've not decided exactly what it's going to be called yet. I was thinking about doing it in two volumes, one called Phoning It In and the second one called Thumbing It In. (coughs) So, but you know, it's a work in progress. And what it's going to be is... uh, It's going to be be a bit like Chronicles by Bob Dylan, but better, um, in the sense that it will probably... um, Pig, you know, it will sort of move around temporarily. Uh, you know, the future, the past. You know, it, it it won't be linear, and it will just be any any shit that I can remember. That I think is funny, and so some of it will be to do with radio and celebs and stuff, and the rest of it will be bits about childhood. But this is what I think should be the very first thing that you read from the autobiography, and hopefully, we'll finish on a song. Um. I think that the the um, title of this is Something Got Me Sharted. And this is how it begins. Actually, I did shart myself once. It was 1984, brackets. Not Orwell. I don't think Winston Smith sharts himself once during that book, not even when they clamp the rats on his face. I'm talking about the actual year 1984. It was a Saturday in November. Mother, brackets, Channel Alan Bennett said it was time to procure new school trousers. Slater's was the place. Cheap tat and polyester, ten a penny, and a tea and bun at the cafe around the corner. <laughs> anyway, I was wearing, no word of a lie, sky blue thick cord cords. My pride and joy at the time. Almost like a crushed velvet vibe. I still think about those trousers during quiet moments. Anyway, 
the sort of thing Martin Boland might have sported had he not T-wrecked his mini. Anyway, I digress. I was ashamed to be seen with mother out in Lee, what with being almost 13 and having a durigur deep disdain of displays of familial affection like you do at that age. As I dragged my heels three paces behind and we hit Holden Road, my stomach lurched like I'd just seen Boris Johnson's erection. I clamped my buttocks reflexively together and quickened my pace, hoping the squit would quit. But no, the thunderous rumble soon turned to stay with the cumbersome meteorological metaphor into a torrent. Basically, I sharted myself. As I achieved footfall on Platfold Road, the shit hit the fan. Well, my gusset. To this day, I've got no idea what created this gastric curdling, but the effect was extreme. Think that bit in The Shining with all the blood gushing down the corridors, but with shite in my sky-blue cords instead. It was clear I had to move fast. Wordlessly, I did a vault fast in my new sambas and sprinted home. I violently slung the patio door open, careened past my grandstand-prone father in a totally bizarre mini-step teeter, hoping to contain the molten barp, and locked myself into the bathroom, where I embarked on a clean-up operation that was only surpassed in size and scope four years later when Red Adair capped the Piper Alpha oil spill. I was proud of that historical reference and then this is a bit difficult to explain it says in brackets see redder dylan sanderman port experience that's to do with when we were at a party in 1988 and uh, a lad a lad called phil got so smashed um that he on sanderman port he was sitting on a wooden chair in the middle of the kitchen and he fell asleep somebody threw an orange at his head he fell on the floor unconscious and shat himself and uh, anthony dylan had to drag him out by his uh, ankles so I think that's great. And what I've done is, this is a brilliant finish, I think, for you. What, what I want, this should be like a, a Patreon extra, but I'm going to throw it in for fuck all. I'm going to throw in a song that I wrote, which is so appropriate. It's not a song that I wrote. It's a song the Moody Blues wrote, and I've just reappropriated the lyrics to, to suit. This is... Um, I just wrote this when I was working at J.W. Williams' catalogue shop in 1996, but it's perfect in um, lyrical content to cap off that story. Let's hope I get the chords right. Pants that I've shattered Have you got some to lend? Rivers of feces That don't seem to end Was it the curry? Is it a bug? Have you got some tissues? Or just a butt plug? Cause I've shat through Yes, I've shat through Oh, fuck, I've shat through Oh, that's a shame evisceration there um, to finish with pants that I've shat in uh, thank you to the Moody Blues for lending me that um, now it's time for me to 
uh, put a close uh, to run down the shutters of the shop of this particular part of the podcast and hand over to one of the great guests that we have on today's Sean Keevney's Creative Cul-de-Sac. Our next guest in the creative cul-de-sac is a woman who started out an actor but who very quickly pivoted to the realm, the milieu of stand-up comedy. Her world was changed by a chance introduction to ventriloquism ventriloquism, and the rest is history. For the better part of the last 20 years, she's been filling theatres and wowing comedy crowds from Melbourne to somewhere else that begins with them to resolve our desperate need for alliteration. Manchester, let's say. She's the darling of the Edinburgh Fringe, multiple award winner, creator of indelible characters like Monkey and Granny and the general public at large. It is, of course, the one and only Nina Conti. Hello. Hello. That was nice. I felt like I was about to go on stage. Nina Conti! And, um, I love well, that top note that everybody gets in their introduction. Kind of atonal. It's true, isn't it? Like, doesn't, I've been asked to in, introduce many people on stage in my old job. And it seems like you all hit the same note. Conti! Yeah, I don't know. That was horrible. Kasabian! It's always the same, isn't it? I do it as monkey. Welcome to the stage, Nina Conti! (laughs) Oh, that monkey. Just watching. Obviously, if you haven't, you'll lose a couple of hours just typing Nina Conti into YouTube because there's loads of stuff up there. Like, I watched one last night and it was um, (laughs) the puppet that you made of the. uh, Is it Stefan? The uh, builder that you fancied, oh, who yeah. was quite lascivious, yeah, and right. you, so you made a, a puppet of him. And then there's this bit—I think it's in Melbourne or somewhere like that—and there's this kind of guy in a muscle, muscle vest at the front, and you pick him out, and he has to sort of get into the costume, and he ends up essentially dry humping you on stage. Yeah, it's quite—it's—it's it's quite punk rock, really, isn't it? What happens because you've got enough control over it it seems to me to some I, degree you know what I mean it's sort of yeah. like you say you're creating these things and they're running off with their own energy in a sense in a way they do run off I mean I think I definitely ha- that one was premeditated I think I make oh, yeah. him say he's going to do press-ups but because <laughs> like we're attached by my hand it ends up kind of on the floor that is depraved it's funny I, I forgot about that um yeah just imagine my parents are in tonight <laughs> My my mum and dad came the other night. They came the last show I did, actually, in St Albans. And I was asking this couple how they met. And she said it was the Elite app. Monkey said, what makes it Elite? She said, you just pay money. And Monkey said, oh, yeah, you get better dick that way. (laughs) And I looked straight at my dad after I said... Straight at your dad? What was his expression? (laughs) Was it like, this is great, or I wish I hadn't heard it? He doesn't love that stuff. He doesn't love... Like seeing his daughter be vulgar like that, but he does. He is impressed by the act, yeah. you know. Well, he, well, it's, it is fascinating. We'll come back to to that process in a minute because obviously, Sean Keaveney's creative cul-de-sac is, is, in a sense, this sort of doesn't suit part of the way you create because I seem to remember as well. Was there a specific point in your career where you sort of kind of gave up on? 
premeditatingly creating content and you decided to just like fall backwards into the arms of improvisation? Yeah, that was probably about five or six years ago. Well, so, so quite the, recently. Yeah, anyway. that's quite recent. And when I started out, I had the same, like, I mean, I, I still have those some of those first jokes from my first seven-minute act. Come I mean, on. That's what this is all about. Yeah, like, oh, where's my microphone? Monkey's saying, where's my microphone? And I say, it's, uh, you don't have one. Well, that fucks up the illusion. I've never <laughs> stopped doing that one. <laughs> probably, if you count how many times I've said that, probably 20,000 times or something. You need, but everybody needs a cornerstone joke, don't they? Yeah, they it's an efficient sort of thing isn't it that tells everybody you know the game that's right you, kind of yeah you're in on it you understand yeah. your that your lack of worth yeah but um but the, what i want to get to is what i can see in my peripheral vision is some of your notebooks which you've dutifully brought so uh, are some of these scribblings from before that five or six year ago period when you were still trying to come up with and, and when you did yeah. what, what would they be mostly what would they mostly contain would it be like sort of attempts at jokes for stand-up or characters what kind of categories well at one point I wanted to do a sketch show actually uh I was working on a sketch show with Hattrick which was just me a one-woman sketch wow. show which wasn't even puppets they didn't even want puppets they thought it was uncool even though that's why I was there that's how I'd got this uh, got to this point and so I I did see I can't remember notebook it's in I'll be looking forever but then there were it was it, I was trying to come up with characters and like there was the girl who humps things it, like that was so like how bad is that thank god this didn't happen so it would just be like girls start humping things in the room they're, a lot of them sexual I don't really know why that is fully clothed women with their household objects that's it humps objects Two peep peep show. Oh, Two peep really, peep show. Really stupid. Is it a little bit like Jimi Hendrix setting fire to his guitar though? Like he didn't want to do it, but the audience wanted to see him do it, and oh. so he ended up succumbing because there's something about the performer, even the ones that think that they're quite secure in themselves and everything. We are ultimately people pleasers, aren't we? Yeah. So it's that we're, we're sort of connecting up the circuit, aren't we? You think you might think I'm going to go to Tunbridge Wells tonight. And we're going to improvise some stuff, but we're going to do something a bit different. We're not going to do the dick jokes. We're not going to go immediately down. Mm-hmm. But then as you see it, the, the hunger in the people's eyes. Yeah, and the That's bell's what they there, and you, sense, can, you just it? have to ring it. It's too, yeah, it's too much denial of life of what's in the room if you don't. But then I was also quite bloody-minded, so I was dating. There's a bit in the dating show where the monkey dates people. And um, they could sort of form a queue. He gets a lot of offers. Um, but there was one There was one guy, the audience just was like, uh, so ring the bell when the date is over. It's like speed dating. The audience was shouting, ring the bell, ring the bell on this guy. And the more they said it, there was no way I was going to ring the bell. And they kept this like really dull date going on for ages, <laughs> just out of a kind of, I don't know, just being recalcitrant. I don't know. But I'm sure I've seen a bit of, a bit of film, it might have been a BBC4 thing that you did work. I think it was when you, were, you went to Kentucky yes. to lay Ken Campbell's ventriloquist dummy to rest. And there's this bit, I don't know whether you were playing it to the camera a little bit, but you're in, the, you're in some godforsaken hotel room in Kentucky you're with Monkey. And he's saying something like, if bit, you regret your life choices now, don't you? Or something like that. And you sort of look at the camera a bit in a slightly haunted way, like... Fucking hell, I am, I am talking to my hand in a hotel room here. It, it, it's, 
how much of that was confected and how much of that's real? It's very real, I'm ashamed to say. I think, uh, I do think of Monkey as being, I mean, obviously, he kind of hates, doesn't hate me, but it gives me a hard time or doesn't let me off the hook, that character. So it's quite like a masochistic voice. But it's also a great comfort. And, you know, that Monkey, it's just, contains so much projection for so many years that it has a special status for me as a as a thing you know throw it in in my coffin with me you know or keep think, me company like it's that's a comforting thought but, but that's don't you think that that's a normal thing in a sense like <clears throat> your average run-of-the-mill comedian don't they do the same thing in a way a lot of the time because it's not really them is it yeah you know yeah. what i mean they're, they're projecting persona. the persona aren't mm-hmm. they Mm-hmm. Yours is just a bit more detached, isn't it? You can take it off and stick it in, a, in your handbag with a lipstick up its ass. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there was I, I gigged with a drag queen the other night. He was retiring the character that, I oh, mean, wow. she'd been for years. And I think that is really emotional, you know? To, to I think that's really similar. You're just, it totally it's, is. It's another being. I must ask the obvious question. Do you sometimes get nights where it's not flying? Or is it just like, somehow it just always seems to come at the last minute yeah I am um, yeah you have to go with what's there is the thing and if if I have somebody up on stage who's who's really not giving me anything to work with and then you know they're just like won't sometimes they just won't because they want to see what mm, you know yeah like a challenge almost. yeah so but then you've just got to make them say I'm gonna fuck you up I'm not gonna move for ages watch this see how long I can stay still you know so as long as you're with what the thing is and you're not pretending it's otherwise yeah. there's usually somewhere to find and sometimes that's quite nice because that's slow burn the people who like do a silly dance and hump a chair I, much as I love it uh, <laughs> no I don't um, but yeah the people who burn fast and bright it's it's, yeah. it's, it's there's nowhere to go with it um, but I'm not alone there with nothing happening yeah. I'm not having to spontaneously create there are all these ingredients on the stage so it's impossible for nothing to happen yeah. um, that's the thing isn't it with creativity as long as you have a few a couple of little plates to spin mm-hmm. and some things to go at you know, with me, it was always the, the emails from the, the listeners or, you know, coming off the back of a record or something like that or a, a sound effect or something that you can just weave in to make a new reality, can't you? Yeah, it's, yeah it is that. You just need that. Um, and it's... I did clown. I studied clown for a while. There must have been some of these notebooks about clown. Um, where, where, where did you do... Where did you clown? Because I know they have the, that place in France, but where did you do it? Yeah, I did um, with Phil Burgers, Dr. Brown. Um, he won the Perrier when it wasn't called the Perrier anymore, and um, he he's he's really good. He's really kind of it, it's not mean because it's just so true and such a relief when he tells you what's not funny. I mean, and you're just sucking day after day, and there's something so pure about it. And the exercises are just like you come out from the screen. Everybody's sitting there in the workshop, you know, and you come out from the screen and you have to come forward to pick up a shoe from the front of the stage. And you're, but you're only allowed to move if we're laughing. And the moment we stop laughing, you have to walk backwards. And man, it can take ages to get to that shoe. I mean, it, it's impossible. But it's only when you're truly broken and you're not trying to be funny yeah. that people are with you and they laugh and then you run for it. But then st- they stop. I mean, but it's like the purest exercise for yes. 
selflessness and being there for the audience, not for your ego, being there for, you know... Transcending the ego as, a, as an artist is very difficult, isn't it? Because you sort of need it. Yeah. But if you didn't have it, you probably wouldn't be an artist. But you, like you're saying, to be really brilliant at something like that, you have to eviscerate it as well. Yeah, they have to kind of like you. For, you have to be authentic, yeah. and that is hard. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's it's disgusting. And if you're trying to be authentic, God, they hate you even more. <laughs> I, I say that to the, especially to my eldest kid, who's 13 now, and I'm like, because, you know, it's all about being cool and shit. And I was like, and even he knows, the minute you're trying to be cool, mate, you ain't cool no more. He's like, <laughs> yeah, Dad, I know, you're right. Yeah, it's like, that's your, that's your position. Oh, that's something you've got to sort out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Have you ever tried to, have you ever, like, sort of noted down, um, like, a, anything else, like a sort of sitcom idea or a musical or something like yeah. that you wouldn't expect from Nina? Well, there was a sitcom. I don't know why I didn't go for it a bit more. It's just where everybody in the world, must make it expensive. Everyone in, it's like, you know, Hallie McBeal or whatever, but everyone's a puppet. Yeah. And so it's just like I, I play every single role. I go to the doctor, I meet a guy in a bar. It's all me in a world of puppets. Um, Is this something that ne- nearly came off? No, that didn't come off. There, there was another sitcom idea that I've, I've made so many pilots. I mean, you can't believe it. I could release a box set of the pilots that I've this made what, that haven't been picked up. This is what I'm saying, though, you see. The, some of these things need to be revisited, in my view. Yeah. You know, maybe the, just the temperature wasn't right at the time. Can you remember any of the, the yeah. best ones? Well, the one I, I quite liked was, um, I think I called it One Free Hand. And it was uh, like I had, oh no, it was a different, it, One Free Hand was the one that Jesse Armstrong bloody wrote, you know, and Armando Iannucci directed. Like, how do you get that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't remember seeing that. No, it didn't. It didn't get picked up. Fucking hell! Um, that was called One Free Hand, and that was just me with the monkey on all the time, kind of in life. And um, uh, yeah, I just could. That was just like couldn't put it down. Yeah. So, but the problem with that is it sort of made the character mad because why would that be in real life? So I think that was the problem with it. Yeah. It wasn't really believable that yeah. someone would be like that. And if they were, they'd be so troubled that you'd have to write very troubled storylines yes. and then all of a sudden it ruins the, the fun ruins part the fun. so then I slightly revisited that idea with something I just made myself um, and improvised and it was uh, that Monkey I have promised for charity that I'll keep Monkey on for six months or three months sleep with him everything yeah. eat with him and it's for charity and so it's a kind of live uh, what do you call it reality show yeah. so it will be seen if I ever take him off and so it's what that does to my relationship and so my husband was in it and my mum and da- my dad was in it and uh, it was just like my life I shot it in Christ. my house and stuff and that was um yeah that would seem fun I thought that had legs but no they didn't pick that one up either Jesus Christ and then I've done a, a cabaret I hosted a cabaret <laughs> Nina Conti's va- variety show or something and that that I thought was quite good but no and then it was uh, a chat show did a chat show pilot I interviewed Jermaine Greer and A.A. Gill and some with, others. With Monkey. With Monkey. I bet that was good. And that was sort of good cop, bad cop. And I did agonise a bit, though. I mean, I mean he's dead now, A.A. Gill. But you, so it doesn't feel right to say this. But at the time, you'd think you could give him hell. 
because he was so he, he was so giving other people hell all yeah. the time so I could really go for the jugular with him but even that I just felt like I didn't want to do that yeah. I don't want to be mean and poke fun to somebody on my show that seems like that seems like a ratty thing to do when they've when they've come there yeah. to, for you it's funny though isn't it it's a bit like well you'll probably punch me in the face if I encant the words um Roy, Roy Hood and Emu, uh, you know, they, but that was the case, same kind of idea, wasn't it? Was except they were both quite unlikable. That was the, that was the difference. I'm sorry to speak ill of the dead, but they sort of both were quite unlikable. It's a bit different with you, but but yeah, or, or, or like like sort of Mrs. Merton had a similar vibe. Yeah. It was like, well, Mrs. Merton can be pretty fucking horrible. Yeah, maybe Mrs. I should Merton. have done it with Granny because she's more kind of yeah. You could get, she's got that wholesome thing that makes it all okay, but yeah, I mean. There were other, the first pilot I ever did was with Danny Wallace. Oh, yeah. And um, it was called The Monkey Pilots. So that was me doing a kind of Louis Theroux style thing where I went to a, a haunted house. And the premise of that show, The Monkey Pilots, was that the BBC are trying to find a vehicle for me. So each week I try game show host, book, okay. you know, Louis Theroux, whatever it is. Um, but that also didn't get picked up. It's amazing. I mean, I think that there's a few more I haven't even mentioned. I did a dating show one. No, it was couples. So it's similar to what your live show is now or totally different? No, it's very different because it was a question and answer. It was a game show. Oh, like Mr. and Mrs. Yeah, and and I did another game show recently with the guys who make um, Live at the Apollo. Um, That went so well. But the the commissioner changed. You know, you end up with a different commissioner who didn't commission it, yeah. and then they're like, "No, no, we're doing idea, everything." So I don't want to fucking know about it. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder if I'm if I'm I'm not in love with television. No, I don't watch it, and I don't. So why? What makes me think I ought to be on it? I don't like it. So, but and also, I'm very. I have a fiercely independent streak with things so that I don't play the game very well in terms of pitching and stuff I just sort of think oh I don't I'm gonna end up making it crap to yeah. please this person I'll just do it myself I'll do it with my own money and you know no I completely I think that's pretty much it really if you know if you're not you can tell the people I guess who are really smashing at telly they probably really fucking love telly and that maybe that's what comes through and maybe we don't yeah. that much no and I, but I do like documentary I'm just about to go on a course, actually, to learn how to use my very expensive camera that is too heavy for me to carry around so that I can just start finishing some of the projects that I've started documentary-wise. that's really exciting. Because I think that's where the future lies for most of us. Behind the camera. (laughs) Get thee behind the camera. (laughs) To pasture. Go learn how to hold the camera. I mean, I I feel like we... we, we, I also want to quickly mention, um, I just touched on it before, that in Kentucky but but Ken Campbell you I always end up tumbling down a bit of a Ken hole when I, mm, I you mm. know because he's I mean he's he strikes me as a guy who probably had a lot of fucking notebooks I mean oh he, he really he, did he just seemed to be constantly like almost, almost like he was uh, possessed by some idea devil or something yeah and he wouldn't sleep for for nights and nights and nights on end and he would write in the notebooks all night like he was that he was one of those, you know, kind of genius, mad genius. Uh, but then, but it, I think it was kind of, it was un, something undiagnosed, I think, with Ken. He had such brilliance. Uh, but, the, I mean, yeah, he would fill a notebook, you know, in a night. He'd just go. And he was a night person. He wasn't a day person. They must, they, I mean, 
you know, his daughter will have those. They'd That's be amazing. True. That'd be a treasure trove, wouldn't it? Yeah. Hey, I think, Ben, I think we're going to have to make a pilgrimage, aren't we? We're going to have to try and get hold of the notebooks of Ken Campbell. Yeah. That'd be something to do. Yeah, incredible. But And, and, and also, I just remember you talking a little bit in the past about how when you started with with ventriloquism that you perhaps weren't originally being totally true to yourself because you was for, for a while you were in the, in this position where you, it was sort of seen as uncool mm-hmm. it was like an uncool thing to do yes definitely and so you, it, you maybe overcompensated in some way for that do you, do you was there a point at which you 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 were like no this is this is this cool. Is cool. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was one, after I'd made that film, I sort of thought, this is cool. Um, so I, I was thinking of giving up ventriloquism a little bit because I was just doing my same 20-minute set with the same kind of monkey jokes, and I just thought, well, this is nice, but it hasn't really gone any further. But that's when Ken died and left me all his puppets in his will. And so that really seemed like, are you really, are you really going to give up now? We've got yeah. all these creatures in the house with their glassy eyes and they need an adventure. So I made that film. Again, I, I pitched it to Tiger Aspect and they said, well, we'll help, but we won't make it. And then I just thought, oh, forget it, I'll just do it. And so I did a camera course and I went off and made it. Amazing. Um, but taking all those puppets with me and filming myself in sort of video diary form was lovely because nobody had to ever see that footage so I could really say everything yeah. and then and it and I was unguarded because no there was no one to hand it to at the end of the day and so that was what made the scenes kind of memorable the ones that stand out or that made that film were the ones that were really sort of deep in the night and no one's looking um and that's that's something you only get when you're making something for its own sake that's it. That's it. I think, isn't it? I think what we're, we're arriving at something though, which is when it's commissioned up to the hilt, and when there are nineteen different people, you have to pass it by to get the okay. So I guess mm-hmm. some people are, are cool with that, and I think maybe it's some people are very good at people. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I do, and that that's it's sort of like a in the film. There's a sort of it's almost like a mausoleum to all these ventriloquist dummies that are never going to be animated again, isn't it? And it's, yeah. it's really unbelievably poignant that weirdly <laughs> they're spooky and yeah voiceless very voiceless and very still <laughs> it's like it's like looking at a dead body isn't it it's like well they yeah. were there a minute ago i know the spirits left yeah the spirits left but that person is like this yeah <laughs> they represent what the true essence of the dead guy Fuck was yeah. the things that he wanted to say or whatever lived in that being and there it is I need to get me a puppet. <laughs> I think that's the conclusion that I've come to, to the end at the end of this particular episode. You've got to let the puppet choose you, Sean. You just go. Why would I, how how would did you? That's a good question. To to as, as we come to a close, though, and you, you've you've talked about you know I mean, this before, but is that what happened with with Monkey? Did he because he, he, he he's sort of gotten. A, a sort of a neutral expression, hasn't he? He's not got. Yes, he was just a sort of teddy puppet thing like sooty like you'd put your hands in he wasn't a a ventriloquist puppet I just happened to already own him when I started learning ventriloquism I was doing it with one of those scary mannequins those wooden ones and I I found out I was quite good at the ventriloquism but I didn't like the vibe of that old horror school vent dummy so I I thought well maybe that monkey uh has a mouth that opens does it and I like pulled the stuffing out and got my hand in and it did and that that was when 
that was when the sort of light bulb moment was when I put my hand all the way into that monkey's head and realized its mouth could open and then turned him to me and he said, hello, Nina. And I was like, whoa. And it was, was it the he voice? It, was it the voice instantly? Or was it-, it was slower. It was like, hello, Nina, Nina. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> that guy knows me. Oh my God. He's going to say everything. It was quite shocking. And, and very nice, you know. It was very nice because I, I really didn't know how to write or who to be or anything. And then for some reason, it was accidental. This thing came out that helped me give the dimension that I was trying to figure out in my mind but couldn't find a voice for. Yeah. And then, yeah. It's just that um, there's a freeing aspect to it, having a character, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I think that must be really lovely. It's me. You're about to hear an advert. Now, if you want to listen to the podcast ad-free and my Friday radio show, all you got to do is sign up to the Patreon if you fancy, not if you don't. Uh, but if you do, the link is in the episode notes. Carry on. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think that the nearest, the probably the narrowest escape of an idea that didn't come to fruition that I've had was when I thought I should do uh, live sex shows with the masks. <laughs> I thought I will create a live sex vignettes of different groupings, different kinds of sex, different, you know, sex problems, different, and I will... And with the full nudity, yeah. the full on-stage sex, and I'll do, I'll narrate it That's and make it sort of funny or surprising or have what's inside people's heads while they're having sex exterior. So I see. So the actual, what you're actually thinking, or what you might want to say, but you would never do. Exactly. Like it, no holds barred uh, verbalizing of what is going on in the mind during sex. Such a, that's a very Nina Conti idea, actually, because it's, that's, there's the edge there and you've just walked right up to it and um, that would, who wouldn't want to see, well I know your dad probably wouldn't want to see it but I would I would definitely buy a pair of tickets for that but it would be whether the 
man would be able to maintain an erection in those situations would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yes, I mean, but then that would be fine. You know, you go with it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's material. Yeah, well, that's very, very, you know, that's not uncommon, of is course. it? Of course. So, yeah. Then, oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I met porn stars and interviewed them and I had a, I had a little team that Did we you? was going to go. I had to talk to um, a taste and decency lawyer to Jesus. make sure it was going to not be illegal because it was illegal. It, it was basically illegal um and it was very but then I had this moment whilst I was quite excited about this idea kind of intellectually you know quite excited about it too and really loving all the porn people I met I thought they were great human beings um I then thought what am I doing on stage (laughs) while they're doing that what am I am I just going oh yeah come on or what am I standing there Am I looking? Am I, what am I doing? Yeah. And then I was like, this is a great idea if I'm not there. <laughs> but I can't just be standing there again and again. I d- and then I suddenly thought, what are you thinking? I just woke up from the idea like, what the hell was that? Are you serious? <laughs> You're going to do that? That would end your career. What are you doing? You pervert. Put it down. Stop it. Shush. No, never mind. Never mind. Sorry, everyone. I think I'm, I'm you know. <laughs> That's such a fucking... But you're right, though. It's, it doesn't seem tenable in real terms because I think the worst thing about it would be you probably end up becoming quite psychologically damaged. Yes, and it might just be, like, really sleazy and upsetting and everyone would... Or it would look like I was kind of manipulating these yeah. people in a vulnerable state. I mean, I just backed down from the idea as so fast, as fast as I went up on it. As it were. I as mean, it were. a phenomenal idea. And I, for the listeners now... I want you to, uh, at the very least, title th- that show <laughs> for us and send them, send those in to us. And uh, that would be a nice way to tie the show off. But um, what can I say except it's been a brilliant, brilliant experience. Thank you very much Thank for coming you. in and chatting to us Thank and backing much. down Sean's creative cul-de-sac today, uh, Nina Conti. <laughs> Testing, testing. I am, aren't I? Oh, fuck, I've opened the wrong thing. So, leave that in bed. Um, Thank you to our wonderful guest. You might have noticed by now, if you've listened to a few of these cul-de-sacs, or even if it's the first one you've listened to, that there is a sort of philosophical divorcing of the three separate parts I've said that wrong. What I mean is that I record the three separate parts at totally different times and we sort of cut and shunt them together. So I never really know. I I don't really know who that previous guest was, but I know that they were fucking brilliant because I chose them and I did the interview. And um, I don't choose people I don't like. Life's too short. Or respect, you know. We're not going to get pretty Patel on anytime soon. Let's just say that. You know what I mean? So anyway, I, don't, I shouldn't ramble on. This is the closing statement, the closing segment of today's cul-de-sac. And y- you might know by now that what we like to do at the end is fold in some of your suggestions. Please use the email seanscreativecul-de-sac at gmail.com. Uh, if you're just listening to this but you want to contribute, uh, 
Well, I guess you can tweet me up at Sean W. Keevan, you know. Um, because it's not just me and the guests who have great lost ideas. It's you too. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I've said you too. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, go on, he's there somewhere, isn't he? He's there. Where, where the fuck is Bono when you need him? I don't know. That's the guy out of Phoenix. It's, that's not uh, Bono at all. There he is. Sorry about that. It's a bit off mic, but, you know, it still works. It's all a bit glue and strings. So here are some of your ideas. Dan Evans has come up with a brilliant idea for a game show. He says, two families play against each other. Each member has clips from four songs played, and the other family has to guess which is the song they were conceived to. And the title of, you can probably see it from here, of the game show is Family Four Tunes. Uh, the losing family has to have Les Dennis stay with them for a week. <laughs> I love that. And thanks to Beck, who says, I went for a walk with my sisters and realised that I had no idea how our water treatment and sewerage centres work. I had this idea that people would like to go on tours of water treatment centres. I even wrote and asked them whether they do trips during holiday times. They kindly wrote back and told me that when I'm next around, they'll happily give me a private tour of the sewers. <laughs> but they don't think it's of overwhelming public interest this might be one of those things that tells me i probably have some neurodiverse traits i think neurodiverse people are interesting too bet because i'm one of them and yeah i'm I partially read that, read that out because i like beck think that there i would like to know more about our sewage treatment systems but i also liken this podcast to like it's like the cognitive equivalent of lifting a storm drain and crawling into the deepest recesses of the sewer of not just my self-conscious, but yours and the guests as well. So I think there's a great allegory there. Or is it a metaphor? And I'm going to finish with this fantastic uh, poem uh, from Nick McAllister. I think I hope I've said that right. Who has written an ode to McCain's pre-cooked baked potatoes. Pre-cooked baked potato. Need it fast, no time for slow. Time is precious, no time to preheat my oven. For that taste of fluffy spud that I'm loving, warm it up in your micro, wave goodbye to your soul. Bathing in the second-hand steam, rising from the Pyrex bowl. It's the winner for ultimate ease, for us who achieved every goal. And do as we please, oh pre-cooked baked potato, I love you so. As I sprinkle on the pre-grated cheese, I revel in your high-speed glow. Thank you very much indeed, Nick. And thank you for listening. Uh, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast, where you're listening to it. And uh, I hope you'll join me next week on Sean's Creative Cul-de-Sac. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.